Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Valiuco and welcome to Personal Pans, conversations about belief, transformation, and all the weird things that we experience. Today's episode features Courtney Block. She is a reference, instruction, and user engagement librarian. She also wrote a book, um, Researching the Paranormal, which is all about how to find reliable information about various paranormal topics. Um, we had an incredible conversation. Um, you know, we, we sat down and talked about uh, the library as a liminal space, um, library books even, as liminal objects. Um, we also talked a ton about the importance of information literacy and also determining credible uh, researchers, especially especially when you're dealing with the paranormal and, and topics that are often considered outside the realm of believability. It's important to identify who is credible, who's doing good work, and, and, and also kind of uh, figuring out how we determine that. This was such a fun conversation. Courtney has this incredible passion and curiosity about learning and about educating and, and really has a sense of the power of sharing information with people and also the, the real importance of libraries in, in educating and in, in training people to be good researchers. Um, it, was, ugh, it was just so inspiring to talk to her and I hope you enjoy this conversation as well. I am. So, it's so funny because I'm always like, uh, whenever I like go to parties or whatever, like if I if I go with someone, you know, they'll just be like, "Oh my god, don't get her started <laughs> about library." <laughs> because like, right? I could, you know, I don't know, but I I think um, it, it's yeah. For me, it's 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 like what you just said, like. <sighs> Libraries are important to me because of those like human interactions mm -hmm. and yes. human experiences. And yes, I like to research and yes, I love reading, but I became a librarian because I like helping people. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that that needs to be the case for every librarian ever, right. um, because there's a lot of back end stuff that happens that, you know, Anyways, yes. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to sort of say that my justification is the best, but, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I just get really frustrated by things that inhibit that human experience. Right. And, you know, like, like when I used to work at the public library and it's just like, can we stop policing people laying their head down and taking a nap? You know, yes. can we stop? policing the fact that yeah maybe this person does have an offensive odor because guess what they're homeless can you have some compassion like yes I don't know yes well that and again too it's like I know we keep talking about like anti-capitalism which I'm very into but like that centering human relationships over exchanges and commodity exchanges is again radical because everything in our society is constantly telling us that there is only value in use right use value exchange value and if you're just like no i'm not paying attention to any of that i'm centering a human interaction above monetization that is inherently radical and that is inherently human affirming and i am a hundred percent for that always everywhere yeah. yes yeah 
Yeah. I, I, I do, I do have a way to bridge this library paranormal, <laughs> like divide. Yeah. Because I don't really, I don't really think it is a divide. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, um, because all of this is re- like making me think of just so many things, so many things. I recently had a, uh, conversation with, uh, the gentleman at paranormal patio. Oh, yes. And oh my God, he said something that just like blew my mind. And we were talking about libraries and books Mm -hmm. and he was talking about how like the book as an object is a very sort of liminal thing because Mm -hmm. especially when it's like a library book, because like what you were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you go and use it for a period of time and then you bring it back. And you have spent all of this time and energy focusing on this, you know, object, you put it back and it's going to wait for the next person to come and pour their energy into it. Yes. And we were talking about, I think we were just kind of musing about why, you know, empty libraries kind of feel the way that they feel. Mm-hmm. Yes. And your, and then your comment just now about like the human centered experience of it. I'm just like, I really think that there's something to it. Like yes. the, fact, the fact that these are like, I don't know what to call them. Like there's, they just become these like focus objects. Yes, absolutely. Like, yeah. like again, so I, uh, I, my magical sensibility is more chaos magic um, but I'm also very kind of like energy driven in terms of how I look at the paranormal and how I look at just everyday objects, right? I mean, we're we're just these energy factories, right? Just from a physical standpoint, but also all of that psychic emotional energy that gets poured into various objects. And so that idea, like I I love this, right? Because you're that kind of almost animism of these books. Yes they just get imbued because you can't not, whether it's a, even if it's a technical manual or if it's a, a novel, right? Like, especially if it's something really immersive, like people are getting absorbed, they're falling into that world. Like it is, it's like it, they're ritual objects. They become liminal spaces, bridges to liminal spaces. Like there's something very incredible and powerful about a library from that paranormal perspective. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh my God. And yeah. And like you just said, even, um, the library itself, separate from the books, you know, it's a place where people are constantly coming and going. Yes. Sometimes it's the same people, but sometimes people walk in and you never see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very transitory spaces and then in general, but then the library on the college campus is an extra layer of liminal because students usually stay about four or five years maybe Mm -hmm. and they go yeah so I don't (laughs) I I love this I was trying to find this quote um if you if it looks like I'm looking at something I'm was trying to find this quote by I think it was Matt Cardin okay um in, in a book that he wrote that talks about the, the paranormal as an intensely significant subjective experience mm-hmm. yes. and how it has extreme value because of that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, this is my other like rant about methodology too, right? Because 
again, as, as sociology, I think, allows for a certain flexibility of thought in terms of like measures and 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 critical thinking about how we measure data. Because with hard sciences, there is this expectation of objective data. Um, we have these objective measures to see what's actually going on. And it's like, no, no, no. First of all, the choice to choose a measure and data to measure is a subjective choice. And it's going to be exclusionary just by its very nature, right? We have no one measure that measures all data and all variables. Yes, yes. We don't. Yes. So, so, so sociology allows for that freedom and flexibility in thinking of like, okay, this is a subjective choice. There's no objective truth, right? And, and I love this idea too, because again, capitalism wants you, society writ large wants you to believe in objective truths and objective understandings. And like, this is how reality is. Yes. And so like subjectivity is like, no, nope, I'm affirming this. I'm affirming what I care about. Like, again, the choice to read a book, the choice to study a class, like you're making those human directed choices. Yeah. And it's only going to be affirmed with like that personal, powerful energy like yeah. that, that again, again, I think a lot in terms of like everyday magic and like ritual and everyday actions and the power in gestures, right? That's kind of this chaos magic scope of like, you don't need to burn a certain herb, but they're like, it's the intention and following through with a certain action that in and of itself is a ritual, you know? Yes. So, so again, the way, like using books in this way, to me seems very powerful, right? Of like, you're yes. pouring your energy into this object and you kind of like leave it on a shelf when you're done. And then someone else gets to like use that energy or pour more. It's, a, it's an exchange actually. I'm correcting myself as I'm talking, right? They take the energy out of it. They're putting their own back in. And then it's just this incredible like uh, synthesis of all these all these different ideas and loves throughout the years. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God, I love it. And yeah, I as you were talking about like the hu that human connection, the human experience, I was reminded of that quote, and I, I I can't find it, but I think he was talking about it in the context of he was summarizing the work of Jeffrey Kripal. Um, and uh, talking about how um, that, you know, researcher um, who I think works at Rice University, mm -hmm. I think, um, and writes a lot about like the intersection of like religion and paranormal experiences mm -hmm. and like, you know, mm -hmm. ritual and stuff, um, how he was sort of talking about that, yes, the, the laboratory endeavors of the paranormal are you know, important. Nobody's saying that um, they're not important, you know, <laughs> right. um, but what they can fundamentally miss because of the way that those are set up, you know, a very clinical laboratory environment is that yeah. they are yes. inherently overlooking the subjective human experience mm -hmm. and the meaning behind that, that cannot and never will be quantified in a clinical setting. Yes. But it's just as important, maybe in terms of the paranormal, maybe more important. I, oh, I love that you said this because this, again, again, having like sociology and women's studies background, and it's, it's that melding of you have quantitative data and you have qualitative data, and they both tell you a story and it's a different story, but they work together to give you as much of the whole story as humanly yes. possible. Yes. It's so funny because yesterday I was talking with a coworker about my podcast and it's like, I care more about like 
the folklore, the the personal narrative. Like there is something again that your our stories about our experiences are powerful. I've been reading tarot for many years and and I love the idea of like the influences card because it's like well these can be real or imagined but even if they're imagined they're having a real influence on you right the power of the mind what you're able to do so so being able to honor that there is some like kind of x factor here that we can kind of tease at but we're never going to get the full story of but talking to people hearing how they talk about things, the way that they talk about things. Yeah. That to me is very interesting too. Like, and, the, and that idea of aggregate data, like when I was talking with Jack Brewer about um, UFOs and, and that kind of experience, like I care less about, is this a metal craft up in the sky? I care more about what is everyone seeing and what are they saying about what they're seeing? Okay, everybody's talking, or not everybody, a lot of people talk about lights. What is it about lights, right? What culturally, what historically, like what from a developmental standpoint, like what are we really getting at the root of when we're talking about lights? What does that signify? You know, again, also that idea of like correlation versus causation, like two data points could match up. That doesn't mean that they're affecting each other. There could be something else that's causing both, right? But if they show up together all the time, that is noteworthy. Like, but it's, it's again, having that expansive idea about like, okay, let's stop talking about what these things definitely are. Let's talk about what they could be. Cause that is a much more interesting conversation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. That is so fascinating. I love that. (laughs) And, and like wrapped up in all of this too, is the notion of like, let's stop being obsessed with what they are and just you know, the fact that we're even capturing this information in the first place, um, you know, because like, I think so often, like data gathering and research, there is this like subtext of, I don't even know what you'd call it, but like this, this like subtext of, I know what this is, or I know definitely what it's not. And I, And it like sort of just gets the sake of just research for and collecting data for for collecting data's sake sometimes gets lost along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think I think maybe it's a little inherent with just like the human condition. We want to know, you know, we we don't like well, a lot of us don't like these sort of what ifs. I'm a very what if, like it is what it is person. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. But, But you know, I think that a lot of people are very uncomfortable by that. And so there becomes this like intense focus on, you know, <laughs> definitives. Right. And it's just like, I don't, there, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there is laboratory work in things like, you know, psychical experiences, ESP, near-death experiences, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like you just said, that's only one part that's right. just one side of it. And that side is really cool and fascinating. And, and I love to read about it just because I think it's cool that we live in a world where we can read a scholarly article about some people doing an experiment about ESP. Totally. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. then, like, I also think it's just as lovely and important to maybe like read a person's blog about their experience um, with scrying or meditation or whatever yes 
Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, yay. Because um, <laughs> I also, again, my brain has just been buzzing this entire time. Um, but just that idea of like, okay, again, what's the exploration, right? And I, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but like I had a research methodology professor my senior year. It was a whole research methodology year long thing. And he's like, you never prove anything. You only disprove or you fail to disprove. That is the scientific method. You have to live in that sense of this is the best working model we have right now. There's always going to be new data. There's always going to be new research. There's always going to be something that could come out that disproves this thing. Yes. Again, that's science. And that to me is the power of science, that constant exploration. It's like, okay, I think this is this, but what about this? This might affect what I think is true about this particular thing. That is, and again, to me, not knowing things is very powerful. It's very, um, maybe it's that chaos magic sensibility, right? It's like that generative chaos. It's like, I don't know what this is. I get to define what this is. If I don't like this definition, I get to throw that away and I get to make a new definition that better fits with what I need to do right now. And then when that stops working, there's something else. Again, I don't know if it's my Aquarius sensibility, the freedom and the power in that is like, I get chills all over thinking about it because it's just like, no, but there's more we can do. Like that is very exciting. Yes. Yeah. And like nothing is ever, you know, nothing is ever stuck. Um, And like on, on the flip side, as you were talking about that, it, it has made, it made me think about how ironic it is that like yes that like what you just said is the ethos of the academy of science you know like we we know what we know and tomorrow we might know something different and you know we can also disprove you know certain things or at least know that x is not happening in this one instance but Mm -hmm. We don't know what's going to happen, you know, if we apply a different sort of scenario or, or control or, or variable to it. And so, like, the academy should be this place where people feel empowered to study and, and investigate whatever it is that sets their curious little brains on fire. Yes. And it's interesting to me that the paranormal has become this like sort of really just like maligned topic within the academy i mean not not all the time i mean uh, there are people that are definitely like open to it and embrace it but i don't think that it has taken the same path that many other fields and topics have taken um I don't think it has struggled uh those other topics what I'm saying is I don't think they have struggled nearly as much as researchers who engage with you know fringe topics yes and that's always been really that's always been really curious to me because it's like wait a minute like who cares what the topic is like you should just be promoting curiosity. And, and it doesn't mean that we're going to suddenly not adhere to the scientific method. I mean, right. we're not rewriting our own rules. Like, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Because that, that is something I find really frustrating. It's like, okay, again, the, the methodology is there. We're not yeah. veering from the methodology. 
we're just looking into other things yeah but be like and and yeah i do find it frustrating again it, it like the curiosity i think is such an important word like it it, it indicates a lack of curiosity and it, yeah. it's like what are you afraid of if we figure out that there's actually some psychic something happening or ghost right. activity or whatever right. like what right. because again people are capturing things people are seeing things people are experiencing things people feel things you want to act like all of that's fake like you better have a really good explanation of like you know hallucinations and brain misfiring like and yeah exactly unless you're a neurologist i really don't want to hear what you have to say about this and like it, it's strange because it's like um materialism has seemed to just like people really dig into that materialist framework sometimes and i'm not discounting materialism it has revealed many wonderful things to us about this world that we're in but i don't think that it's everything in life you know i don't think that it explains away everything i think that just like any other sort of like theories and um paradigms that it can sometimes cause you to have you know some tunnel vision mm -hmm. and so what if we sometimes, if scientists sometimes uncover things that seem to be at odds with the materialist framework, like that's, I don't know why people automatically are threatened by that. Yes, that, and I think that's such a good word. And I, I don't know either, but it's that, that, that defensiveness that yeah. feels like a response to a threat. It's like, why are you scared of this? Like what, what would facing this or even the possibility of this do like to your like the fact that like even addressing it could potentially devastate your entire worldview to the point that you are getting mad like mad at people <laughs> yeah. like um friends is that really is that really how you want to live your life especially as a scientist or somebody who cares about intellectual curiosity or less or at least purports to like what are you really doing here yeah it's weird and and i feel like um oh gosh i just like had a thought and it's like gone out of my head but i i was i was just sort of thinking about um yeah i, I remember going through like some databases of um dissertations that people have written oh yeah um, and I love finding people's dissertations because they're so creative and there's like a ton of information. Yes. And there was um, one researcher that had written about, um, it was like a ethnographic type of study where they immersed themselves into a population of people who were like really into UFOs and U having a UFO experience. And they just wanted to do sort of like this, you know, cultural study about this group of people and their dynamics and their beliefs. And, yeah. you know, and they wrote in their dissertation, they wrote about the, um, the sort of, uh, I don't know, I don't want to call it like a fear that they had of pursuing that, but they wrote about how, you know, they were a little trepidatious about continuing and, and completing that and putting this sort of research out into the world because of some of the, you know, honestly, the threats that were lobbied against them by like other people in 
their university who were basically just like, I'm going to make sure that you're never, you know, tenured, or I'm going to make sure that this or that. And it's like, what, what is happening? Oh my God. Like the, the, the idea of like intentionally sabotaging someone that is hor that's horrifying to me. Yeah. Like, like again, to be that threatened, <laughs> to be that threatened by ghosts, <laughs> the idea of ghosts and UFOs, like that is so threatening to you. <laughs> You're right. It is. La it's laughable because it's, just, it's so weird that it's like, why does this, why is this so threatening to you? Why do you somehow think that as a researcher, that person is less than just yes. because they, you know, are interested in a topic that you don't think is interesting. Like, right. why can't you just pay Sarah Sarah and like, let them do what they want to do? Exactly. Um, because here's the thing, like, if it's not a good study, if it's not a good study, it's not going to pass their dissertation committee. So like, right. just let them do the work. Uh, right. It, there's just something about the topic. There is something about high strangeness and the paranormal that just sets people off in many different ways, mm -hmm. like in the sort of general, you know, broader sort of societal way. But then in the academy, it sets people off too. And, and like, fortunately, I, I don't, I don't want to, I, I hope this doesn't sound like as doom and gloom as maybe I'm making it sound because I, I, I say that, but also at my university, I feel very supported. People, people ask me about what I write about, you know, yeah. people sort of, you know, have fun with the fact that I openly talk and write about the paranormal. Yes. Nobody has said anything. I don't fear for being like blackballed or anything, Good. Yeah. but I know that I know that not everybody else has had that experience. Which is just so, it's so sad to me. I'm so glad that you are in a place where your work is affirmed and who you are is affirmed. <laughs> yeah. And because, because again, like that freedom to be weird and it's, you're like, first of all, you should be able to write about whatever you want to write about, but you're writing about research too, yes. right? <laughs> so yeah. there's a certain intellectual rigor with that anyway, right? Yeah. It, it's, Oh, I mean, it's not like you're writing about like the Anunnaki on a blog somewhere, you know, like you're doing actual due diligence. Right. That's but it is. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm just was going to say, yeah, like I'm just basically I'm just creating these giant, you know, annotated bibliographies of things that, you know, I'm not I'm not even doing like any, you know, primary research myself other than like content analysis maybe but like I'm just pulling from all of these places yeah. uh, you know all of these sources of information that is out there and putting them together um and I'll tell you like the motivation for mm. writing my first book is that when I was you know when I would be sitting at the reference desk you know I there would always be a handful of students every semester who would come to the desk and they would say like, hey, can you help me find some research for a paper that I'm writing? Like, yeah, for sure, you've come to the right place. Exactly. And I would say like, okay, well, what's your topic? And um, 
they would say that they were interested in like ghosts or the paranormal. But what I started to notice almost every single time, students would either like approach that question in one of two ways. They would be outright apologetic for it. And they would say things like, I uh, know this is, this is probably just going to sound crazy. You're probably just going to think this is, you know, like I'm weird or whatever, oh. but this is what I'm in. I know. So they would either say things like that, or yeah. they would say things like, well, there's probably like nothing serious out there about this, but uh, this is what I'm interested in. So I guess, can you just help me find another topic? Because I know there's nothing serious about it. And oh I, right. And, and I'm not faulting the students for having those perceptions because yeah. clearly that's coming from some other, that's, that's being fostered somehow. Yes, exactly. But I started to think about like how unfortunate it is that A, anybody should ever feel apologetic right, for having a genuine curiosity about some topic that is not hurting anybody. Right. You know, right. <laughs> right. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's, God. yeah, it's like, okay, this topic, th this question that they're posing, like they're, this is not, this is not hurting anybody, you know, yeah. they're, they're curious about the paranormal and yes. you know, whatever. And then I started thinking too about like, why is there this perception that there has been no serious research being applied to topics of the paranormal because there's a long history. Mm -hmm. And so that was the inspiration for my first book. I was just like, I, I don't know. I just want to create this, this resource. I'm, I'm not the first by any sure. means to do anything like this, but you know, I was just like, I, how, what can I do as a librarian to, right. to make it apparent to people that like you, you're, curiosity is valid like there are <laughs> your your weirdness has a place within the academy yes yes but, yeah there have been other people like you there will continue to be um and here's this long history of research yes and that again that I love that because to me, the beauty of putting something in a context, right, a historical context, an educational context, um, a research context, right, you are not alone. There are people who are doing serious work, um, who, who care about methodology, and, and you can look at what they're doing, decide if that's valid for you, or maybe, again, because that, like, the only way you're going to continue to develop better methods is if you look at what previous methods are. Yeah, And then you can say, okay, this was able to collect this data, this can show this, but now with newer technology or whatever, you can say like, okay, well, what, what can I do in these particular fields with what the tools are available to me right now? Yes. That's incredibly powerful, but you can only do that if you're looking at the historical context of what you're doing and kind of move that forward, like you're moving it forward, right? Like, yeah. and I think that unfortunately there is this idea of well, this is just a silly thing that I'm interested in. And, and it's like, well, okay, you can have fun and also be serious. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. it's not mutually exclusive. Yes. Oh my God. You know, I have so many, so many thoughts. Like <laughs> wrapped up in all of this too is, 
I also wanted to, as part of the, the work that I've done in both of my books and, and in what I talk about to students is that there also needs to be an awareness of the ways in which certain information is valued above others and the problems that that causes. So mm -hmm. like, I, I, I will tell people like, okay, if you're interested in, let's say near-death experiences, mm -hmm. you probably, to, to have a really well-rounded uh, paper, if it results in a paper or just an understanding, if you're just someone curious about it, like it would be, it would be really useful to have, sure have some sort of scholarly article from a neuroscientist or you know whoever, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> some sort of doctor maybe who who is talking about physically like what is happening to the body when this event is happening. But it but it is just as important to go read a blog about somebody's personal experience having an, an NDE. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And those two people, but sometimes, sometimes within the academy and, and I think in general, and, I, and I'm not poo-pooing scholarly articles at all because oh, sure. they, are, they are valuable, <laughs> but I think sometimes, you know, we over, sometimes students especially overlook the value of anything else that is not the scholarly article. And it's like, no, it's all about how you combine yes and other sources and put it together yes yeah it, it again uh, eliminating the human element from yeah. research yes. is always a mistake it's yeah. always a mistake because especially yeah. when you are studying human beings yeah and they're like it's you're not just a brain and a body right there is some other process going on and that lived experience and that perception because even again even if somebody hallucinated the whole near-death experience right i want to hear about what that looked like right yeah. what was their experience because again if you're just looking at what's happening physiologically like okay is there a connection here yeah. right between like, cause I, I remember, I think back in college, like there was this idea of like inducing the, the near death experience, you know, and yeah. that there were certain like parts of the brain you could stimulate to like <laughs> see a tunnel and that kind of thing, you know, it's like, that's cool. Right. So, okay. There is some sort of basis or weird experience with tunnels. What about all those, like people who see all sorts of other random stuff that, that doesn't line up again, that's interesting. Let's look at it. Even if you want to say again, that it's all hallucination, like if lots of people are having the same hallucination, that's important data. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm looking at this like book. I got to show you this. Please. Book. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like this is like so professional, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you just reminded me about, so this book is oh, Close yes. Encounters of the Fourth Kind. Alien abductions, UFOs, and the conference at MIT. Oh my so gosh. Yes. It, you just said what you just said reminded me of this book, mm -hmm. um, which was written about literally an alien abduction conference that was held at MIT. <laughs> yeah. Because a, uh, a Harvard and uh, 
Harvard, yeah, a Harvard psychiatry professor and a physics professor from MIT basically realized what you just said. They realized like, hey, there are, you know, tens of thousands of people talking about, you know, UFO, UFOs and abduction experiences. And we don't know like what's going on, but we know that for some reason, like these people are reporting this on, you know, in large international scales. Yes. And so right. it, that alone deserves, like it, it deserves inquiry. Like let's yes. create a forum. Yes. Let's not ascribe judgment or, mm-hmm. you know, this sort of air of like, we know that we think, you know, this is, we think you're just crazy and we, we just want you here to like, look at you. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. yeah. yes. like, let's, let's just create this space and invite um, scholars and scientists and researchers yes. and, and, and abductee experiencers to a place where we can all just talk about it. I love it. I <laughs> love that. I'm going to have to check out that book. It's the library to get it. (laughs) Library, you know, and I love using that example to um, uh, one. I have had one time had to like sort of clap back at somebody at my you know university. It it wasn't even directed at me, but it was very much you know they were talking about uh, uh, how embarrassing it was that uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, the you know crypto cryptozoologist or yeah a relic hominoid researcher had uh come to the university like years and years ago and I was like you know what's really embarrassing (laughs) closed-mindedness and I mean I just said it yeah and you know I was like I was, yeah, I was like, look, this guy is one of your peers in the academy, you know, like, like, yeah, you guys aren't like in the same field or whatever, but like, here's a guy that has like a PhD, just like you and has written in the scholarly literature, just like you and, you know, adheres to the scientific method, just like you. And you're really going to be so egotistical that you're going to publicly call this guy an embarrassment. Right. And so I did, I clapped back. And so I said, um, you know, I actually referenced this book in like my response to that person. And I was like, you know, if you want, if you want an even more extreme example of how the paranormal in the Academy has intertwined, why don't you go check out the alien abduction conference? at MIT. I love it. They never responded to me. <laughs> That's those are my favorite clapbacks where it's like, here's data. Have fun with that. Because <laughs> they usually yeah. have no response. Yes. Right. And it's just like, I, I don't know. It it just, yeah, it, it sort of blows my mind that yeah, there, there's that, that attitude that some people have of like, well, this is embarrassing. And it's like, well, well, why? Like, is, right. is, is, is their methodology unsound? Like, did they, I don't, is there fraud? Like, I don't like, I mean, cause yeah, there have been some cases in any field, like not just, you know, the paranormal, but like 
all academic fields. Like yeah. there, I feel like every year or so there's some big case about like plagiarism that comes mm-hmm. out about again, a, name a discipline, you know, like exactly. this isn't, yeah. And, and you know, too, like not to backtrack a little bit, no, but um, when you were talking about, yeah, like the human experience of all of this, uh, it reminds me too of how I love telling people that, okay, because I think sometimes people who are maybe not a student or a research, like in the academy, sometimes think, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know if this is the case, but I think that sometimes they, they feel like there's the scholarly article, the scholarly journals are, don't have anything for them. I, I think that it's for many reasons. I think that A, they, they might be worried that there's going to be too much jargon right. and that they won't be able to understand it. But, you know, I, I think that that's just a little bit of imposter syndrome, like, you know, showing through because everybody, yes. can, I have trouble reading through, sometimes I'll have to read scholarly articles two and three times through because I'm, you know, whatever. Yes. yes. And I also think sometimes that people so shy away from them for that reason, but also shy away from them because they don't, A, they don't, they don't know how to, you know, uh, access them. Um, but also they think that it won't have any value to like their own sort of personal research or curiosity. But I love to remind people that it does have it can really serve as uh, inspiration for anybody, like other researchers in the academy and students doing research papers, yes, but also just like the random person who is maybe super interested in psychokinesis and they want to read this article published in the Journal of Parapsychology from like 1954 that outlines how this person set up a dice throwing experiment to study psychokinesis. Like you can do that. Like anybody can just do that at their house, you know, like yeah. <laughs> you can read it. You can read the article, get inspiration and then be like, oh, here's a really detailed methodology that shows me literally this person like outlines how they set everything up from A to Z. And I could throw that together with a few things that I have laying around the house. Right. And I can have some fun. And just because your end goal isn't to like get published or whatever. So what? That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That that's a beautiful thing. Again, the idea of experimentation, right? Like that intellectual curiosity, not everything you do has to be for a paper or has to be for a book or has to be for a conference, whatever. Again, if you want to share it, you can have like WordPress, you can just put a blog out there. Right. Like, and that's if you want to, right. Otherwise you can just keep this data for yourself and that can ex- inform your further intellectual explorations. That's yes. exciting. Yes. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I think especially for people that maybe have paranormal investigation groups, um, like they, there's so much that they could get inspired by in reading through these articles and, and being like, oh, that was kind of creative. Um, is there something that I can maybe use from this or, mm-hmm. you, you know, not, not in a way of like, I have to replicate how this person did it because 
you know, they're, they're a published scholar, but, but in the way of just read it to see if you can get inspiration and an idea about how to do your own cool, creative thing. Right. Yeah. Everybody deserves access, you know, to this information and, and, you know, there are ways to get at some of it, even if you have no affiliation with a university or a large library system or even a library system at all. Right. Right. The information is accessible. It's out there. Yes. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Oh man. But I, um, yeah. I just, you know, I just like to tell like students, especially, but, but just people in general too, that it's like, I, I love talking about the sort of academic, like scholarly history of the paranormal, just because I think it's subversive and interesting. Yes. But I also always want people to know that just because I do spend a lot of time talking about that doesn't mean that I'm saying that that avenue of paranormal inquiry is any better than anything else, you know, that, that, that those experiments are any more, you know, important than just somebody, you know, who's doing their own cool experiments in their home just for the sheer fun of it you know (laughs) yeah of course like what you've been saying that the subjective paranormal experience is just as important as the many other ways that the paranormal weaves its way through our life it's that exactly and I I think just to be very clear like it's so obvious from everything that you say that you have such a this beautiful kind of balanced approach to research and, and seeing validity in, in, I think, things that people typically discard and discount, like the personal, again, affirming the personal experience. Because you might have an experience, like, but also it's like, you might have an experience, you might not know what it means, ultimately, yeah. but there's value in that experience and in communicating yeah. that experience, right? And, yeah. and yes, that there is, again, I, I have that quantitative and qualitative background. To me, you need both sides. Yes. And, and like, because I, on the one hand, I feel like I see, at least in like UFO circles, kind of this over-reliance on personal narrative. And it's like, yeah. okay, this is very valuable. And also, do we take at face value everything that these people have seen? To me, it's more interesting to look at like common elements and, and the emotional reaction to those things. Like, what is this phenomena evoking? Like, that is a very powerful question. And I think, right. again talking about lines of inquiry, like that is a line of inquiry, right? Like what, why is this causing very specific emotional physiological reactions? Yes. Um, But also like looking at data, like, again, it it doesn't hurt to look at both sides. You're only going to get a more complete research picture. If you look at all of that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Boom. (laughs) You just said it. Yeah. Like, it's uh, like information is just information. It doesn't, you know, yeah, like you said, it's only going to help you having even more pieces are, is, is only going to help you have a more complete, you know, picture if there even is anything, if there even is ever a complete picture of anything, but yes, Yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think that, um, yeah. And that can be a really interesting thing to like navigate, 
it can be a really interesting thing to navigate as somebody like in the academy who like teaches like talks to students and teaches students about information literacy and deconstructing the assumptions surrounding what it means to you know be information literate right. and what it means for things to be credible and what it means to be a credible researcher and I don't know yeah it's just I think that that it, it's really ironic too because well maybe it's just stymied by the fact that like in today's day and age we're all inundated with information from all sides and it can be really hard to do the work to determine like is this credible yes is yeah. this you know is this person just making something up or are they actually telling me some personal poignant personal experience that they had Mm-hmm. You know, yes. I, don't know. <laughs> I, okay. So again, I, this is something I think about all the time too, because like, who is a reliable narrator? How yeah. do you determine if someone is a reliable narrator? Again, how, uh, how flexible are you in accepting the idea that, oh, Hey, maybe you talked to this person and they seemed very credible, but on further information gathering, you realize like they're either deluded or they're trying to sell a book or whatever it is, you yeah. know? And I wish that we had, I mean, I feel lucky because I was raised by like paranoid Polish immigrants who like don't trust anybody. So I was just kind of raised with this like critical eye towards literally everything. Yeah. Very valuable. Because anytime I hear something, I'm like, really? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, but I wish that there there was something a a little more codified in like uh, educational systems of like, okay, we're on the internet now and anybody can post anything and say anything. And there is value in that in some ways. And it's also terrifying because anybody can say anything about anything. Yeah. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who just immediately believe the stories because of whatever personal you know, biases they want validated, et cetera. Yes. How do you cultivate a critical eye? Yes. That is something I think about all the time, you know? Because again, if somebody could tell you a UFO, I keep talking about UFOs, but someone could tell you a ghost story, let's say yeah. that, that you really want to believe. Yeah. Okay. What that again, a personal story is very valuable. Is there any accompanying material data at all? Mm-hmm. Have any, has any, or, or have other people had similar experiences in that location? Because again, right. if everybody or a lot of people are having a similar experience, I want to know. I want to know. That right. is information. That is data, right? Yeah. So, so that kind of um, again questioning, like, okay, what more is there to this story? Yeah. That is valuable. That that exploration. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's a hard thing to to do, and and we've all fallen victim to you know believing something that didn't turn out to be so credible or not realizing that it was not coming from a credible source, you know, like it's hard. Totally. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even if you think you have a good bullshit detector, ultimately, like some people are just very good. And especially if they're like lying to themselves, they're going to be very effective liars. 
you yes. can't escape that. Like, yeah. <laughs> unless you're a sociopath, you don't see that coming. Like, you just don't. And, and, and again, having that compassion of like, okay, I have to adjust my data here. You yes. know, like this is yeah. not a, I'm not going to take this as a personal wounding. I made a mistake. Let's update our information. Like yes. that's powerful. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think, yeah, I think it's that, you know, it, it's notions of like your skills in evaluating credibility and reliability are constantly evolving. Yeah. Because of the world that we live in. Right. And, you know, it, it's not a black and white checklist, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, I think that that really does sort of like threaten people sometimes or, right. or, and I also, I know too, that I think a lot of times we just have information like overload and it's just too much sometimes. Totally. Yeah. And so, yeah. How do you, yeah. <laughs> yes. It can be really hard. And yes. It's, and, and the thing is like, it's not necessarily like, it's just as hard no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, I think yes. students sometimes assumes that like, oh, well, like you're a librarian. So like, you just know, like everything is credible and that you, whatever, you know, everything yeah. that is credible and you can pick it out. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> I, I do the work just like you do. That's it. Exactly. Like, I get caught in stuff too. And I don't know, and I have to dig a little deeper and it's not easy. Right. It is a, a constantly evolving process. Yeah. Again, yeah. if you're open to learning, you are going to learn. And yeah. again, if you're open to learning, you're going to find out all the ways in which you were wrong. And that can be very yeah. humbling. But again, there yeah. is power in that because you're like, okay, well, I can learn better information now. I have that choice. I have learned a lesson. I know what to look for now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. It, that reminds me so much of the, so the ways that people, I hear a lot of people, you know, recently, and I think it's a great thing. I hear them talking about and acknowledging the ways that like they have grown in the things that they have thought about the paranormal and the ways that they have approached the paranormal. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful because we, we don't, we are not the same people that we were like five years ago. We don't yes. think this, I mean, we might still like maybe have the same core ideals, but mm-hmm. like our thoughts about things are different. We have more nuance. We have more life experience. Yes. We have more perspective and like, it's okay to be like, you know what? I used to think that, but I see, I see the problems in thinking that way now. And I don't think that anymore. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, whatever it might be um, related to the paranormal or not, but yeah. it, it, I'm glad that I've seen more and more people like talking about that and em- embracing the fact that people grow because some, I don't know, sometimes I think that that can be like a really tricky thing for people to talk about. Right. And I don't know why, because it's like, of course you, of course we grow and change and, yeah, you know, hopefully for the, hopefully for the good, you know, like. Right. Exactly. Nobody's yeah. going to be perfect. No one comes out perfect immediately. Yeah. Right. Like you just don't like you, yeah. you it is a constant <laughs> learning. And again, yeah. seeing the power of a lesson, right. And, or a yeah. mistake rather than as a personal failing, yeah. like. Right. Again, we always have imperfect information always. 
you do the best you can with the imperfect information you have, right? You do yeah. the best you can with the imperfect information you have. I love that. And <laughs> like, it's like I tell people, like I, I wrote in my like first book, it's like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to change anybody's mind about the paranormal. You believe what you want to believe. Um, but if you are curious about the paranormal in whatever capacity you're coming at that with, here is a re here is some research and resources yes. for you to make your own opinions about yeah you know like yes. take it where like and also don't consider this one book as like the end point because it's yeah. a drop in the bucket yeah uh, of information that is out there and accessible so it's I just hope I don't know the stuff that I write about I'm just like if it if it could help one weirdo know that they're not alone <laughs> and if it could spark some curiosity, then I've done what I wanted to do. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, like the world in general is like a, a very, it can be a very othering place. Yes. Yes. Yeah you know, for, for so many people, um, in so many different ways. Yeah. And a, it can also be othering for people that are interested in like high strangeness and the paranormal, mm -hmm. yes. um, in general, whether you are or are not somebody within the Academy. Um, and so it's also that subversive act of just putting myself out there and being yes. like, I'm going to out myself as a weirdo. Yes, because I know there are others out there who mm -hmm. are interested in the same. Yeah, and they should know that they're not alone. I love that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to read more about your books, um, where can they find you? Yes. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> where do I start okay you, the, uh, people can find me uh, on Instagram at liminal.librarian um, you can find me on Twitter at Courtney M Block um, you can find my um, my first book on um, Amazon um, you can also get it directly from the publisher with a discount code that I can send you maybe okay I'll send it to you um, it gets you 30% off or you can ask your libraries to get it for you because you save your money and I still get recognized for the work. So please urge your local libraries and save your money. And yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Support your libraries. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, books are expensive yeah. and that is a privilege. You know, it is a privilege to be able to own a book mm -hmm. and you do not have to purchase books to access them and read them. Your libraries are there for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but those are the ways that people can get a hold of me. And I, my, I would love to, you know, hear any thoughts or, you know, just questions or whatever, anytime from anybody. I love talking to weirdos. So <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. 